first Holy Ghost meetings that we had here. We had it out at the cafeteria in the high school and youth group from a, another church had come and at the close of the service we began to, or the minister began to minister to the folk and they were falling out under the anointing, under the power of the Holy Spirit and some of the other, the kids from this other youth group thought it was really mean that these people would fall down and nobody would help them. And uh, well, they were getting helped. The Holy Ghost was doing his job. Praise the Lord. You may say, well, why does that happen? <clears throat> I don't know. It's just when the supernatural hits the natural, the natural has to get out of the way. So God can do his thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Healed and restored in Jesus' name. Jesus came so that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Not just abundantly, but that we might have it more abundantly. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to talk with you a little bit this morning about Abraham and the Almighty God. You know, Abraham is one of our heroes of faith. <clears throat> but I think so often as Christians, you know, we, we get on the right path, but we, we, can, we can get distracted. We, we can get off of that path. And what I want to do today is look at Abraham and how Abraham, you know, we, we look at him and we see this great man of God, which he was. But we also see about Abraham that he, he got off the path. And what got him back on the path was recognizing who God really is. You know, I think oftentimes we, we may talk about God. Um, we know him to a degree, but we really don't know him as he truly is. Abraham didn't know him as Almighty God. He knew him as God, but he came to know him as Almighty God. And I think that's where all of us have to come to in our lives, where we don't just simply know Jesus as, as Savior, but we know him as Lord. We know him as Almighty God. You know, all the rules and the regulations in the world won't keep us on the right path. But you know, when we know him as God, we'll get on that right path and, and we'll, we'll stay there. But if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Romans, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> it's going to be up on the board. I guess it's already up there. Praise the Lord. She's quick. Praise God. But let's start in verse 1, Romans 4. And it says, What shall we say then uh, that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham is justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, 
and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and because of his belief, because of his faith, it says he was, it was accounted to him as righteousness, or it was laid to his account. Now to him who works, to him who earns righteousness, and this is the topic that he's talking about here. Now to him who works, the wagers are not counted as grace, but as a debt. And so if we, if we earn our righteousness because of our actions, then we're not counted righteous because of the grace of God. It's a debt that we're owed. God owes it to us. But then <clears throat> the other side of it is, if we don't follow the path, if we don't do the right thing, then we're owed accordingly. You know, the Bible says in Romans, it says the wages of sin or the consequence of sin is death. That's what we get if we get what we've earned. I don't want <laughs> what I've earned. I want grace. And that's what it says here about Abraham, that it was accounted to him as righteousness. In other words, it was grace. Because God basically said, even though you don't really qualify because your works haven't been good enough, I consider you righteous. Now, thank God for you and I, we're not accounted as righteous. We are made righteous. You and I, we are the righteousness of God in Christ, not because of any works, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Verse five, it says, now to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his, thought, his faith is accounted for righteousness. We are made righteous, we are justified by faith because of the completed works of Jesus, <coughs> because of what Jesus did for you and I. Now, <clears throat> we're told that when we look at the Old Testament, everything that we have in the Old Testament are examples, they are, they are types that we can look to to see what's been done on our behalf. Where we, where, we, <clears throat> where we get into trouble is we try to pattern our lives after what they did in the Old Testament. And really it's a type and shadow of what Jesus has done. And I've never been able to figure out <clears throat> why would you want to follow a shadow when you can follow the real thing? We, don't, we no longer follow a a type or a shadow. We follow the real thing. We follow Jesus, the real thing. But, but what we see in the Old Testament, we see types and shadows of what was of the new. Abraham, or Abram at this point actually, was a type, was a, was a shadow of what was to come or what was to be available to us. Through Jesus, we're not accounted as righteous. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, 
Abraham was considered righteous, but Abraham, just like so many of us do, we, in certain areas, we decide that we wanna, we wanna take our own path. We wanna, we wanna do it our own way. God had spoken to Abraham and, and, and Abram at this point, before his name was changed. But he says, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. As many as the stars in the heavens, as many as the sand on the seashore, that's how many your descendants are gonna be. And I'm going to do it. You know, God has given us promises. And oftentimes what we do is we, it's not moving quick enough. And so we wanna take it and we wanna we want to do it in our own strength. We want to do it in our own ability. And you see, Abram and Sarah, his wife, were guilty of this. They were guilty of getting off a path, and rather than simply trusting in what God had told them he was going to do because it was taking too long, they determined that they were going to, they were going to do it themselves. They were going to get on their own path. And like I said, oftentimes we do that, and what we do is we get we get outside of God's plan. We get outside of God's will. And what happens when we're out there, not that God forsakes us, but we're basically on our own. But let's look at Genesis, the 16th chapter. And here we have the account of, of Abraham and, and Sarah. Genesis, the 16th chapter. And I want to start, or excuse me, yeah, 16th chapter, and I want to go to the 15th verse. Genesis 16, verse 15. So Hagar, and so let, let me give you a little prerequisite of this. And so Abraham and Sarah decided God's taken too long, so we're going to help him out. And so Sarah said to Abraham, here's my maid uh, servant, Hagar. Uh, why don't you take Hagar and bear a son through her? And Abraham says, okay. And so um, he received Hagar, they laid together, and she became pregnant. And so this is where we pick up in Genesis 16:15. And so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. <clears throat> now, now, we can understand why Abraham and Sarah were getting a little bit concerned at this time. You know, because here he is in his mid-80s and he doesn't have that, that son yet. And so they decide to help him out. He receives Hagar and has a son. The name of the son is Ishmael. Now, Ishmael, as we know, is uh, 
the, the root of um, Muslims and, and so forth, the Muslim religion. And so we see that the, the, the fruit of it was turmoil. What happens to us is it doesn't say that if we go off on our own that we can't bear fruit. But we bear the consequences of that fruit. And so ever since Abram, through Hagar, bore Ishmael, the world has dealt with an issue that is the fruit of Abram making the determination that he's going to help out God and he's going to do it himself. Like I said, what we do will produce fruit. And we're very capable in ourselves. We can do so much in our own strength and our own ability. And it isn't that God denies us our ability because we're going to see that he did have a child through Sarah. But you know what? He had to be involved. But what God wants to do is he wants to lead and he wants to direct our involvement so we produce something that is going to produce fruit that is going to be beneficial to you and I and to everybody. And that's what happens when we follow after God and we allow him to lead the way. And so basically what we see happening here for about 13 years we don't hear where God and Abram have a whole lot of communication with one another. God isn't really speaking to them. But then at the age of 13, or when Ishmael is 13 years old, God speaks to him again. And he tells him he's going to have a son. And he's going to have that son, and it's going to be a son of promise. And he's going to have that son through Sarah. Now, <clears throat> We, under the, old, the new covenant, and this is why this is a type and a shadow of what we have. We live our lives determined to look to the promises that have been made to you and I. Now the thing about the promise is, it's, it's a type and a shadow from this standpoint. God promised healing. He promised prosperity. He promised salvation. And all of that was fulfilled through Jesus. And so, you know what? Healing to you is no longer a promise. Healing to you is a fulfillment through what Jesus accomplished when he took those stripes. Prosperity to you isn't just merely a promise that's been made to you. It's a fulfillment. And it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says Jesus became poor so that you and I might be rich. He was our substitute. He became poor for you and I so that we might experience the abundance, the blessings that God has poured forth for you and me. Salvation isn't merely a promise to you. It's a fulfillment through Christ Jesus. And when we receive Jesus, we're not just simply receiving a promise, we're receiving a fulfillment. 
You know, it's one thing for somebody to promise to give you something. And if you, if you know them, if you trust them, you get excited about it because you know that they're going to be true to their word. But you know what? It's another thing to hold it in your hand. And that's what we have through Christ Jesus. We don't just simply have a promise. We have a fulfillment. We hold it because he made it not just simply available to us, he imparted it into our lives. You know, it tells us in, in Ephesians that when we received Jesus, we received the manifold promises or the manifold graces, blessings of God. We received them. Not they've been made available to us. We've received them. And so the promise isn't in our receiving them. Our, pro our problem is not recognizing what Jesus has already done for us so that we appropriate it into our lives. Jesus has done it all. Let's go over to Genesis 17th chapter. And let's look at the first verse and it says, and when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. You see, Abraham saw God as God. But now he begins to see him as almighty God. Almighty. Did you get that? Almighty, almighty. In other words, absolutely nothing is impossible. We don't just simply serve God. We serve the almighty God. And in serving the almighty God, what we're told, what we're informed is that there is nothing that is impossible to him. Why? Because he is almighty. Not just kind of mighty. He's not just pretty mighty. He's not just mightier than some. He's not mightier than Mighty Mouse. No, he's, he's mighty God. He is the mighty, almighty God. And so he is all-powerful, almighty. That's where all the omniness comes from. Omnipresent, omnipotent. That's our almighty God. I, I don't know if you've got this yet. Our God is almighty. And whatever it is that's coming against you, he's mightier. That's why everything of the enemy is under our foot. Why? Because Jesus is mightier. He's the almighty God. And that's who we serve. And that's who is being revealed to Abraham. Then Abraham was 99 years old. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing what he couldn't believe for when he was in his mid-80s, he was able to believe for when he was 99. You know, sometimes it, it takes us a while for things to set in. But don't ever give up on God. Because he's not giving up on you. It, it, it looked like it was absolutely impossible. You know, when I got as a little boy, I, I knew I was called into the ministry and, and uh, got into my teens and so forth and kind of forsook that. And, 
And when I got, when I got born again, one of the first things that happened was there was this, this resurgent, there was this knowing that I was, to, I was to go into the ministry. And of course, you know, I'm just newly born again. We have four children or two ch children at that time. And, and uh, I looked at it and I, I, I says, you know, that, that's just an impossibility because, you know, I have to go back to school. I have to get this training. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm got a wife I'm responsible for. I got two kids. Uh, how in the world would I ever be able to do that? Four and a half years later, still married, only now I have four kids. And God speaks to my heart and tells me to go to Bible school and we're able to go to Bible school. Why? Because he, he became more than just simply God. Because when we begin to see that with God, nothing is impossible for him, when he begins to tell us something that looks impossible, we know that it's not. You know, really, <clears throat> that, that's, where, that's where God wants us to be. I, I, we don't like to be there. But that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be just one step beyond our ability. Because at that point, we've got we've to trust him. We've got to put our confidence completely in him. Knowing that he's the one that's going to make the difference. And so here, here's Abe. He's nine to nine years old. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, or Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. <clears throat> now, now he's telling him that he's going to do what was impossible 13 years earlier. Aram was convinced it was impossible. Why did, <clears throat> why did he go into Hagar? Because it was impossible through Sarah because of the deadness of her womb. And because he was too old. And we're running out of time here. Don't ever allow that to dictate your life and what you're going to do. Well, we're running out of time here. No, you're not. Because if God has spoken to you and told you you can, you can. I've shared this story with you before. Most of you probably already remember. But there's this lady, she was in her mid-50s, and she'd lost her husband. And she was in talking to the lawyer, and, and she says, I, I, just, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And he says, well, what, what is it? What is something that you've always wanted to do? And she says, well, you know, I've, I've always wanted to be a teacher. But, you know, in order for me to be a teacher, I'd have to go back to school, and by the time I got done with school, I'd be 57 years old. And the lawyer looked at her and said, so, if you don't go back to school, how old are you going to be in four years? What's the point? The point is, 
We put stipulations on things that God, you know, God isn't, I believe God cares about quantity, length of time, but I believe he cares more about quality, quality of time. I think of, I think of John the Baptist, think about this. John the Baptist spent 30 years of his life, 33 years of his life, preparing for probably less than six months of ministry. He was called for one purpose, to preach the baptism of repentance, to proclaim there's one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to loosen, the Messiah. Turn from trusting your old ways and put your trust and your confidence, your faith in him. That was his ministry. And his whole life was to prepare for that one very short period of time. And we'd look at that and we'd think, what a waste. But just think how this man in that short time affected not only the world, but generations. Don't, don't limit God. And don't put stipulations on God because that's what Abraham and Sarah did. They put limitations on God. Sarah's womb is dead. I'm too old. We're going to run out of time here. Don't allow that to dominate and control your life as it did with Abraham or Abram at this point. And he says in the verse 2, And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you. I have made you. Do you hear that? For I have made you. Now this is before Sarah had her son. He says, I have made you to be father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come, come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your de descendants after you. I make a covenant with you. I've made a covenant with you. And of course, we know what happened. He had a son, and his son came the generations that follow. Now, this is what I wanted to see in Abraham. Abraham didn't stay on the path. He got off. He tried to do his own thing. And there was a period of time it was silent, but I don't believe it was because God was silent. I believe it was because Abraham. Guess what? I don't know about you. When I mess up, I know it. 
He knew he had messed up. He had allowed his flesh to rule. He had allowed his flesh to dominate. And so then we get into the New Testament, and I want to read this out of the Amplified, so it's, it's in the book of Galatians, and in, in Galatians, the fourth chapter, it talks about um, the two women, Hagar and Sarah, and talks about how they represented two covenants. Hagar represented the old covenant, which was um, working it out in the natural, working through the flesh. And Sarah is a type of the new covenant, a type of grace. Because when we, when we talk about grace, we realize that it's what, what Jesus has already done for us. It's not us trying to do it. It's what, what Jesus has done for us. And so he, he talks about the bondwoman and, and the free woman. Hagar was the bondwoman. Sarah is the free woman. And see, we're to follow after freedom. There's not to be bondage in our lives. But let's, let's look at this in, in Galatians, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to begin reading in verse... Uh, verse 21. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondmaid and, and one by the free woman. But whereas the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, remember what I said, we can do a lot in the flesh. But whereas the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and not an ordinary slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of the promise. The fulfillment of the promise. The promise is you're going to have a child. The fulfillment of the promise was the child. We've been given a promise. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise. That's why we don't go back to the bondwoman. Why? Because we've been set free from that through Jesus when he fulfilled the promise. Now all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant uh, originated at Mount Sinai where the law was given and bears children <clears throat> descended from slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar is, stands for Mount Sion in, Abria, in, in Arabia. And she corresponds and belongs to the same category of the present Jerusalem. For she is in bondage together with her children. But the Jerusalem above, the, Messiah, the Messianic kingdom of Christ, is free. She is our mother. For it is written in Scripture, Rejoice, O barren woman, who has not given birth to children. Break forth into joyful shout, you who are not feeling birth pangs. For the descendant, for the desolate woman, has many more children than she who has a husband. 
But we, brethren, are children, not by physical descent, as was Ishmael, but like Isaac, born in virtue of promise. We're like Isaac. We're, we're born of the promise. We have life because of the promise that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're not trying to get life. We have life through Christ Jesus. What hinders us from that life is when we thought we could do it in our own strength and our own ability. When we thought that we had to do something to earn our salvation. But when we came to realize that it was Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, that we put our trust in his completed works, the promise was fulfilled in our lives. The promise is fulfilled. But I need it to be fulfilled in my life. And when I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, that promise is fulfilled in my life. But oftentimes, ignorance keeps us from recognizing and acknowledging what Jesus has already done for you and me. We're trying to get something in our own strength, and our own ability, in the flesh. What Jesus has already provided for us through the Spirit. You know, in the book of Hebrews, it says that there's a labor that we're to labor in. And it says that the labor that we're to labor in is to labor to enter into the rest. It seems to be a contradiction. It seems to not make any sense. You labor to rest. Yes, we labor to enter into the rest. The rest is having the confidence, having the assurance, knowing that Jesus has already done it all. And so I no longer have to labor to get it because I have to, because I already have it. The laboring to get into the rest is to quiet our minds to get our minds in line with what Jesus has already accomplished for us because our minds always want us, wants to convince us that there's something more that we have to do. When Jesus has truly done it all. For it is written in the scriptures, Rejoice, O barren one who has not given birth to, to children. Break forth into joyful shouts, you who are not feeling birth pangs. For the, descent, for the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. But we, brethren, are children not by physical uh, descent as was Ishmael, but like Isaac, born in virtue of promise. Yet just at the time the child of ordinary birth, born according to the flesh, despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably, according to the promise and the workings of the Holy Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out and send away the slave woman and her son. For never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. So brethren, we, so brethren, we, so brethren, 
we who are born again are not children of a slave woman, the natural, but of the free, the supernatural. You see, what we have in Christ Jesus is supernatural. And what we have difficulty with is recognizing and acknowledging that we're not to just simply live a natural life. The life that we now live is a supernatural life. In fact, the supernatural ought to become so natural because we live there. Supernatural. Well, Pastor, I don't understand healing because it's supernatural. Pastor, I don't understand prosperity, how I can give and sow seed and God's going to give an increase because it's supernatural. And supernatural things can't be discerned, can't be discerned intellectually. But you know what's, what's weird about it is when you walk in the supernatural, you begin to understand it. For some reason, it starts to make sense. But if you just focus in a natural way, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense that a man that's 99 years old, his wise womb is dead, and they're going to have a child. But it happened. There was natural involved in it, but it was supernatural. And we're to live a supernatural life because we serve a supernatural God. Let's back up just a little bit. In Galatians, again, 4, but back up to verse 1. And it says, Now what I meant is that as long as an inheritor, an heir, is a child, and under age, he does not differ from a slave, although he is the master of all the estate but he is under guardians and administrators or trustees until the date, by his the date set by his father. <clears throat> Don't have time to get in. We'll, we'll have to teach some other time. But in, in this day, when somebody was a, a young boy born in a household, he was put under the tutorship of a slave that was a patagos, and he would lead him uh, to uh, the age of accountability and, and he would live with the slave. The slave would teach him. He would eat with the slave. He was the son of God, of, of the father. But he, he basically lived like a slave. And when he went through the ritual, he came into the house. He ate with his father. He had all the blessings of being a father. In the Greek, he would be called a huos son. He was called a mature son. When you and I were born again, we weren't born again as nippios, as baby, babies in the Greek. We were born again as huos, mature sons of God. And as mature sons of God, what that means is every one of the blessings of God belong to us right now because we're mature. Now, I don't know about you, oftentimes I don't feel very mature. But you know what? We are. Not because of what we feel but because of what Jesus did for each and every one of us. So we Jewish Christians, also when we were minors, were kept like slaves under 
the rules of the Hebrew ritual and subject to the elementary teachings and systems and uh, other stuff. <laughs> Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jewish Christians. And he said, as long as we were trying to serve God, we were under the law. But the moment, everybody say the moment. The but the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're no longer under those elementary principles and rules and regulations because you have become a huos. You have become a mature son of God. And so you are no longer under those rituals, those rules, those regulations because of what Jesus has done for you. You're not bound. You're free. That's why it says in Galatians where it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, that which grows out of your born-again spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And then it goes on and it says, and against such things there is no law. Why? Because you're not under the law. You're not trying to make it happen. It grows out of your born-again spirit. It's supernatural. God's so good. What a wonderful Savior we serve. And he's come not to bring us back into bondage again. He's come to set us free so that we can walk in life, in victory, in wholeness, in not just select areas of our life, but in every area of our life. And it's not what we've done, it's what Jesus has done. And we serve him out of honor, out of respect, out of love, because of what he's done for us. Not to try to gain something, because we already have it all. It's through Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, read the rest of that chapter for yourself. Hallelujah. God is good. Glory to God. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad that you live in the dispensation that we live in? You hear people talk all the time about the Old Testament. Oh, it would have been so cool to be back there and see this, that, and the other thing. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, not only is our physical life so much better, but what we have spiritually is so much better. And it's all because of Jesus. And so, Jesus, we thank you today for loving us, for loving us so much that you came and lived on this earth and died on that cross, buried in the tomb, but for our justification, you were raised from the dead. And that Father, you loved us so much that you sent your Son and that you didn't leave us alone. 
But when Jesus left, you sent us the precious Holy Spirit to live within each and every one of us so that we might rightly understand your love for us, so that we could rightly apply your word in our lives, that we might experience the fulfillment of the promises in our lives, that we might live victoriously for your glory. And so, Father, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory because you're so deserving and worthy of it. You are Almighty God. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, allow us to be your representatives to rightly demonstrate your love and your kindness and your goodness to everyone that we encounter, that your kingdom might be furthered. We thank you today for the privilege of knowing you, of serving you. And now, Father, I ask your blessing upon this congregation, your people. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I speak a blessing over them in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. Go in his peace and his strength. Be blessed. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. <laughs>